millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Yes, 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 yes. It's my favourite type of Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. It's a bonus Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Hello, fellow podcastineers. Murph, Ken and Simon. Hello there. Hey, Hello. How are you doing there? Do you like these bonus shows as much as I do? You're, you sound fresh. Some call it unpaid overtime, Ken. I call it, <laughs> I call it giving the public what they want. Okay. Or at least what we feel they want. Uh, mm. you know, either way, We're yeah. prescribing for the public what it's we feel they should need. The reason for this bonus show, delivered on Tuesday morning, it's Six Nations time. Not only that, but the first heavyweight clash of the tournament is on this Sunday in Dublin. It's Ireland against Wales. And these two guys, Murph, it's just straight, straight up do not li- like each other. They just don't, they like, don't each like each other. other. It's been very clearly established over the years. Fans pretend to like each other, sure. Players say the right things in public. Coaches have the utmost respect for what the other has achieved. But this is a rivalry that, let's be honest, doesn't bring out the best. In it brings nation. out the absolute worst in both the Irish and Welsh nations. If we are to call the Welsh a nation. Which probably is inaccurate. But anyway, see what I've done there? I've, I've already... They see what they're bringing me... They're bringing me down a level yeah, already. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're now debating what, what is a nation, what's a principality. What's a principality, I, mean, I suppose, really. Do you remember the front page of the Western Mail after Wales... Stuffed us last year. And you remember this Western Mail and I the, do. this rehashing of an old article? Uh, well, no, it wasn't old. It was, it was that league. season. It was, it was the same season. I think it was earlier on. I think it was Neil Francis's tournament preview uh, when he made the point that Warren Gatland has the intellectual capacity of a tub of flora. Yeah. They don't forget over in Wales. They offer nothing. No. The front page of this Western Mail. Most of the capacity of that tub is devoted to memory, <laughs> grudge, <laughs> grudge holding memory. Can you, you can remember the front page? Do you remember what it looked like? I can. I want it was a it was a, a a little a breakfast table, yeah. the mm-hmm. tub of flora, with the score, which I think was Wales twenty three Ireland sixteen, written in the yeah, sort of in inscri- the butter inscribed in there the, via. I can't believe it's on butter. <laughs> yeah, uh, do you know what it said? It said, "We won. Spread the word." Huh? Spe- yeah, that's which, the headline, and then a quote underneath it. Underneath it, the Irish fans I spoke to found Francis's comments an embarrassment. They weren't too impressed with Keith Woods' complacent predictions of a comfortable victory either. The margarine barb was pathetic. We can't believe you're not better. Caroline Hitz, stinging verdict, pages two and three. 
Having That's a pop a at Neil Francis oh. hurt even more than losing the game. <laughs> it did, it did. He's, 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 you know, he's not Frano. Our most beloved son. You know, he, oh. he, he can go after Radio, but he- not Frano. Heaviest baby born in Ireland. And oh, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. Ah, really shut up, yeah. <laughs> You're always saying that. So Irish fans wolf whistling. a week goes by. Irish fans wolf whistling and booing Gavin Henson at Lands End Road back in 2006. Oh. That generally was cringy and horrible. Stupid, yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course there was Ken Birdie's unforgettable reign of terror. When mm. was that? 2011? 2011, yeah. I think it was the Six Nations in 2011 followed by the World Cup in 2011. I think yeah. it was all, it was in, you know, sort of a five month period. It was, yeah. A lot of drama added by the fact that Wales stuffed us in both those games. Mm. I think Ken Burley wouldn't have been half as funny if Wales hadn't hammered us in both <laughs> those games. I don't think, I'm not sure they would have got him back on. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the thing. That's would have halved his appearances. Oh, yeah. Ken Burley hasn't been seen in a while. You were quite taken with the advertising for this tournament, Ken, 2016. Well, I think it's great. I think it's great that rugby is, is living out these final days of its existence. Uh, by celebrating the very qualities that are soon going to get it banned. Uh, <laughs> the, the, what do you mean? Well, just it's it's uh, uh, just the world is changing on. And uh, I saw this uh, BBC ad for the Six Nations, which uh, uh, essentially intersperses scenes of friendship and fandom uh, with the with the carpenters. It's uh, you know, why do birds suddenly appear? Every time, you know, it's a it's a lovely, very gentle looking ad for the first exactly. ten seconds. Gentle, and then uh, suddenly, <laughs> as uh, these massive, uh, you know, bionic rugby players slam into each other, and you can hear inflicting the crunch, ma- infl- inflicting traumatic brain injury. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you don't have to get hit in the head to, to suffer traumatic brain injury, as, as we now know. But this is the right kind of sound for one, is all I can say. <laughs> so you hear this this sickening uh, thud of uh, beef on beef. Uh, and then, then it's back to the carpenters uh, for another, you know, little face painted children and, and so on. And then another uh, bone juddering uh, collision uh, between these enormous uh, men. And then it's back to the kids whose parents won't allow them to play the game based on, <laughs> based on exactly the quality of the game that is being celebrated by this ad. Uh, the, uh, the violence which draws everybody in and which will unfortunately cause it to go down the same road as fox, uh, fox hunting. <laughs> And for fox cutting, fox hunting, <laughs> fox cutting recently banned in uh, many states in America. <laughs> the the w- 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 there's one very strange moment in that ad, and I gotta be honest, <laughs> fox cutting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if only it was so cutting close. that he nearly said there. Oh, that's <laughs> my only concern. The there's, there's one moment in that in that ad where yeah, like you say, oh, each, each of those uh, each of those moments of brutality is shown in all its gory glory. Yeah. All gory. But there's. At one point, it flashes back from the fans to a French player gently l- sort of rolling over the line and placing the ball down for a try. And that, too, has the sound effect. Oh, really? It's like, but it's just a guy. It's not a guy being tackled. It's just a guy scoring a try. <laughs> not really sure what the well, sound effect is. Well, if you get concussed enough, even scoring a try, well, probably. <laughs> well, well the, this is true. Hey, we've well, got to return to play protocols, Ken. Everything's fine. They've <laughs> <laughs> got 10 minutes to assess whether the man suffered a grievous brain injury, Ken. It's fine. All right, anyway, we've got a Welsh legend who's going to join this chat. Martin Williams, two grand slams and 100 caps for his country. Shane Horgan and Jerry Thorny are ready to go. So let's talk Six Nations. The third of the encounters the last day of the Six Nations, each one extraordinary, extra special. It really does seem as this is going to be just too much for England and Ireland to handle. Oh, what a pass! And what a run by 
despair, but everyone else here just marvelling at a scintillating Welsh performance. Ireland need to win this game by 21 or more. At the moment, they're leading by 30 points. It's a try for Ireland. 72 minutes gone as Murrayfield erupts. It's almost like a home game for Ireland. And certainly, Sean O'Brien smashing his way through. It's another try for Ireland. It is still possible that England take the title, but logic would suggest that it's going Ireland's way on points difference. Although, Jack Noel may have something to say about all that. England tear back towards halfway. Penalty to France, that's it. Niger takes it, Antonio France. <laughs> oh, it could still be on for England. Cockot says, enough is enough and ends the game. Nigel Owen's whistle will blow. An extraordinary game here at Twickenham is going to end. The title after this colossal battle between England and France is going to Ireland. Shane Horgan and Jerry Thornley are uh, ready to go. Jerry, we're first of all, how are you? Good, thank you, and you? Excited, I hope. Schmidt, you know, all I'm reading in the last few days is that Joe Schmidt has lost all these uh, loyal lieutenants, Paul O'Connell, Les Kiss. Uh, there's a lot of other injur- injured players out there. We were home against Wales, away against France in the first six days. The style of rugby is getting hammered maybe for the first time, and the Irish provinces are all having a bit of a nightmare. It's easy to forget that we're going for three in a row here. We're going for history. Yeah, history. Uh, no Irish team has ever won three in a row outright, and no team ever has won three in a row outright. Now... The points differential thing only came into being in 1994. You wonder why the Five Nations so long getting um, up to speed in this. So a lot of titles were shared and, you know, the French have shared them before, the Welsh have shared them before. But strictly speaking, nobody's ever won three outright and Ireland has never even shared three in a row. So it's definitely a chance to make history. I think it'll be the toughest of the three for all the reasons you outlined and the absence of Peter Manny and Tommy Bowe and most probably now Luke Fitzgerald as well. And also the itinerary. So much is said about momentum and... Ireland, much to the chagrin of Warren Gatlin and others, used to invariably draw Italy first up, usually at home, sometimes away, and therefore the gilded opportunity to build up some momentum. Certainly that doesn't apply this time around with Wales first up at home and then a six-day turnaround to an away game against France. I can't recall such a tough start to the Six Nations for an Irish team. Shane, I, uh, even the way Jerry is speaking there, it's, it's absolutely fair enough and it's logical and we've talked about the challenges this season. Joe Schmidt himself says, listen, you know, we're just looking for a top-half finish. That'd be a good result for us. But it's funny. I know you're laughing away there because Joe Schmidt wants to win the Six Nations and probably thinks we will. But if we were Wales and we just won two Six Nations in a row, all we'd be thinking about and talking about would be Grand Slam. And yet for some reason, I don't know, it seems like we're reluctant to embrace the fact that this team is on the verge of an unbelievable achievement. Yeah. Well, whether it's on the verge or not, it's got potential to do it. But uh, being on the verge, I think, is maybe overstating a little bit. We do have this luxury before we go into the Six Nations to dream. So maybe we should dream a little bit more, myself and Jerry. Um, maybe not doing that because we can see that the, the road ahead is quite difficult. And there are a lot of reasons uh, maybe not to be as... Um, as optimistic as we might be given the fact that we've got two uh, amazing championships in a row and, and go into we actually go into this game against Wales I think slight favourites with uh, the bookies but you know, I think Wales probably came out of the World Cup in better shape um, certainly more optimistic than we did um, the fact that they're 
um, provinces or sorry, their uh, regions don't perform particularly well doesn't seem to affect their uh, national team where it does traditionally have an impact on us. If we're flying in the provinces, it's it's generally a good indicator that things are going to go well for Ireland. And as Jerry points out there, it's uh, very tough to go uh, six days and away game turnaround. Um, I think, you know, against this French team, I'm not so worried about the French as I would be, um, for example, going to Twickenham. But a lot really could be riding on this first weekend. That's why it's so exciting. I'm so delighted that the Six Nations is back. I love it. I think it's my favourite competition. I think I like it more than the World Cup. And um, given that we don't always get to see rugby that matters, the Six Nations always matters. And that's why I like it so much. Uh, it's funny. Uh, when you said that, Jane, about liking it more than the World Cup, <laughs> Simon raised his eyebrows. Jerry looked stunned. We're just picking Jerry up off the floor here. Uh, and We're I'm, smelling salt. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to know why, why it is. Why do you prefer this? Because every logic says these days in modern rugby that the World Cup is where it's at. Or maybe because I'm closed-minded or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, um, it comes around every year and there's a special... I think there's something quite uh, magical about it. And the World Cup, listen, you're going to see the best players and the best teams. Yes, and that's it. Uh, It comes around once every four four years. We haven't been super successful in the World Cup. I think that's one of the reasons I don't enjoy it so much, um, where we have a real opportunity to win something in the Six Nations. Um, I think there is a history with the the Six Nations that isn't quite there um, with um, the World Cup. And uh, I think... Um, the atmosphere around the grounds and the atmosphere um, uh, in the different countries, I think, is really special. It's its own thing, and I just know I just have a real soft spot. I, I love it. That's fact. It comes after Christmas. Everybody's kind of a little bit down after January, a bit of a hangover after Christmas, and I think this really kicks off the year in sport. Shane, would it be fair to say this is the first tournament uh, under Joe Schmidt with Ireland where there's some raised eyebrows about how he's going about his business. Up to now, it's been his Claremont record, his Leinster record and Ireland record have been near immaculate. But the World Cup has tarnished that. And that for the first time, people will be looking at mistakes Joe Schmidt might make as much as uh, mistakes that the Irish players might make. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think it's the first time that he's come under the the spotlight to this degree. Um, it's almost like everything that Joe has said up to the World Cup was was taken as being right, just because his knowledge of rugby is uh, so remarkable um, and the success he's consistently had and constantly delivered. Um, I think that was always going to change unless he won the World Cup, which was going to be unlikely. I think it was very difficult. Um, I still think it was an incredibly difficult uh, achievement to try and um, beat this, uh, the uh, Argentinians in the quarterfinal, given that there were five key players down. And I think, in retrospect, I think we, quite, we did quite well. Um, I do feel, though, that there's sort of a little bit more bite in the media. Um, I, think, I don't think they always feel that they get enough access from Joe. And as a result, I think they're, they're, they're looking a bit more at what Joe is doing. And I also think the, the style of play that, um, that we saw last year, uh, you know, at some stages, I think uh, the, you know, the public like uh, a running game. They've been used to it in a lot of Irish teams. Um, over the last number of years, I think there's a perception that there's uh, too much of a kicking game. And I don't know if that perception is right. I think at the moment, I think we see some of the Irish players are a little bit inhibited about taking the passing option or taking the offloading option. I think we're very often set up for it, uh, but we don't use it for some reason. And I think if we can remove that inhibition, uh, I think the game plan and the game plan does allow for it. I think we can take heart from the last match of last last year. Um, I think 
you know, we have the capacity to go very well. Yeah, we can take heart from that performance, Jerry, in terms of the style. But if you listen to what Joe Schmidt has been saying in the build-up to this tournament, per match, he says, we made more passes than any other team in the World Cup. Per match, we kicked exactly the same number of times as the All Blacks did. He says that in terms of offloads, sure, you can go out like France and offload away to your heart's content against New Zealand and get 62 points stuck on you. He strikes me as somebody who, if anything, is entrenching himself here against the criticisms that he has and has has no notion of playing more expansive rugby. I don't think it'd be radically changed either in personnel or style um, or approach. And is it limited? It, it's. I agree with Shane. And I, I think Irish players are less likely to go for an offload or push a pass out of contact than they would be if they were playing for their provinces. So you'd imagine that somehow comes from the direction from on high. Um, turnover is, is frowned upon hugely in Joe Schmidt's scheme of things. Uh, if you look at the Ar- Ireland, Ar- do not tend to offload much. And certainly since Brian O'Driscoll retired, they, ret- they offload even less. He was almost a one-man offloading machine in the team. Um, the ground is their friend. They recycle the ball better than anybody. Um, and that's why the, 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 the back three are so important in Joe Schmidt's inter- interpretation of things in terms of recycling the ball and making sure it's recycled. That's why sometimes Simon Zebo hasn't figured and why other wingers such as Dave Carney, Andrew Trimble and so forth have figured because they're very good at the kicking game, the chasing game, the receiving game, but also making an impact at work time, which Simon Zebo doesn't tend often to do. And so, but if you look at their recycling rate, it's been like up 97, 98%. It was the key to the two back-to-back successes. So his methods have worked at Six Nations time. Another factor as well is, um, whatever about having the personnel to do this, there hasn't been an awful lot of time in the training ground. It's not like, um, say, a club side that would have you know a six-week, seven-week pre-season with their head coaches where you can you, you have more scope to bring in, evolve a team style. I don't think there's that much scope in the middle of a season, particularly this one, a World Cup year. There hasn't been an awful lot of time together. So I don't think we will see a huge radical change. Well, will, will there be scope then? Because we were told that before his first season, um, again, during the second season, before the, the second season, you, you kind of thought maybe things might... Yeah. I was going to say improve. I'm, I'm going to no, catch myself exactly, on yeah. here for a second. Yeah. This, is, back, this is almost a ridiculous conversation in some ways. Yeah. 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 But, but what we're talking about here is a coach who's consistently evolved throughout his career, mm-hmm. has improved himself as a coach pretty much year to year, has consistently gotten results while playing in a very intelligent way. And yet it seems like we're all sitting around here wondering if maybe he's gotten stuck in the mud now. I don't know about stuck in the mud. I, th- I still wouldn't swap him for any other coach in the world. I think he's a very smart coach and he'll adapt. You're right, though. The scope for developing a new style or evolving this team style is um, is made difficult by what's in store. I mean, Six Nations is a Six Nations, and our, you know, I don't think the Irish fan base or the pundits or any of us sitting around this table or Shane or that many people are going to accept Ireland finishing fourth or fifth while scoring more tries, making more offloads, and making more turnovers, etc., 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 with the with the long term view in mind. But did the World, World Cup, Cup not show us that actually the best way to achieve results is through I more just offloads? Don't th- yeah, it is, but I just don't think it's going to happen in this Six Nations. I think the Six Nations is an end in itself. Um, he's very much under um, instructions from the RFU to put, for Ireland to put their best foot forward. It's where the greatest dividend in terms of prize money comes from as well as TV money. And then, of course, you look down the track, you've got a three-test tour away to South Africa at the end of a World Cup year. That's pretty daunting. And then you're playing the All Blacks twice in Australia once next November. So there is limited scope for that. But I do think the team will evolve um, just not as radically as perhaps some people wanted to. Shane, too much pressure to change his style? No. Well, I, what, what you have to remember is um, look at what Joe has been dealing with. I, he's been the Six Nations coach or the Irish coach in the last two Six Nations and they've won both of them. 
with uh, that was is during probably the worst two years of provincial rugby that we've had. You know, I'm trying to think if we, you know, there've been ups and downs. There've been some things that've been okay, but generally, the level of provincial rugby over the last two years is is not comparable to almost any time before that. Um, and so we haven't had the, the level of success. He's been dealing with the same players, and he's delivered two Six Nations championships. It's actually quite remarkable. Mm. And the fact that we can uh, pick holes in the style a little bit, well, maybe he's making a conscious decision to do what, what he thinks is best with those players. The players that haven't been showing a, a huge, often a, a huge skill level uh, while they've been playing for their provinces. And that's one concern that you have as a national coach. You are very reliant on the day-to-day work that uh, the provinces do. I, and I think, you know, there's some concerns about what's being done there. There's some, I think there's some, you know, chinks of light. But also, I think that you can't just play a revolutionary type of game when you're with the national team that bears no resemblance uh, to the sort of game that, or the skill level required at a provincial level. And I think, to some degree, he cuts his cloth accordingly. But saying that, I still believe, and I've, you know, I've watched his teams very closely over the last couple of years, and I really do think that there's the options are there, but they're not being taken. And I think... He can he can try and remove some of the inhibition from his players because Joe won't be naive enough and he's not a, he's a very sophisticated coach. He just doesn't go. This is the only thing you can do. You can only kick in this situation. You can only box kick in this situation. It's never the case. There's always a couple of options. So always you know there's generally a kick pass one option almost every single play. Um, but very often I think you're seeing that the players are a little bit uh, conservative or. They're not. They're, they're concerned about their skill level, and they're not uh, willing to to try and execute the the skill under pressure. And uh, that's something that he's having to deal with, and maybe that's having an effect on the style. All right. Well, we might be feeling a little bit uneasy about this campaign, despite being back to back champions. Let's find out what they're thinking in Wales. Double Grand Slam winner Martin Williams joins us now. I'm delighted to say, Martin, are you confident? Oh, never confident going to Dublin. I think uh, the Welsh squad are in a good place. You know, mo- most of our team, like uh, Ireland, are fully fit. You know, we, we, I suppose where we have got injuries, uh, the quality to back them up, you know, is very strong. The likes of Jonathan Davis coming back for Scott Williams, Liam Williams coming back for you know Lee Halfpenny, um, and Gareth Davis for Reese Webb. So, and everybody else is fit and on form. So. They're in a good place, but as we found out in the World Cup, you know, with all our injuries, everybody wrote Wales off, and uh, you know, sometimes that can inspire you to great things. So, no, we're not confident, but uh, we're in a good place. Uh, Peter O'Reilly in the Sunday Times reported an exchange between Joe Schmidt and a Welsh reporter at the Six Nations launch, and the reporter put it to him, listen, Gatlin says that Ireland are favourites next weekend, next weekend, and Schmidt said, well, Sam Wharton-Burton's been captain for five years, Wales are the most capped side in the Six Nations with over 1,100 caps, and they were the biggest team in the World Cup, averaging 106 kg per man. Uh, it was a very Joe Schmidt type answer, type answer f- full of facts. I mean, I, both teams seem to be reluctant to take the favourites tag. Why, do, why does anyone care about this anymore? Who's fa- who, who the public think are favourites for a game? I, I just think it's you know a little bit of mind games, isn't it? I think you know whenever you're a player, it doesn't you know doesn't really bother you if you're a favourite uh, underdogs, what have you. I just think you know he just did in fact at the end of the day, Joe Schmidt. Um, you know, Wales are a huge size. If they, you know they've. We've got huge men. Probably our backline is as big as a pack. When you look at Jamie Roberts, George North, you know these sorts of players. But um, I suppose they are, they have got huge experience now. You know, it's a group that's been together more or less for the last four years. 
Um, he's beaten Ireland twice as well in the last two games. So um, I think, you know, it's, it's such a difficult one to call. And I think it's such a big game for both teams because whoever wins this game, you know, it, it sets them off on a great track, particularly for Wales. Cause if they win, they've got three home games, um, which you'd expect them to win. So it's uh, it, it is a, it's a huge first up game, and that rivalry has been, you know, every year seems to be built more and more, doesn't it? Because in fairness, I think Wales and Ireland obviously have been the two most successful teams over the last decade. So it's uh, it's a fascinating matchup. Shane, I think I'm right in saying that you're particularly worried about one of the Welsh players, um, that Dan Bigger, how how he's blossomed in the last year. Yeah, I think you know he's just an exceptional player. He's a, he's a real talent, um, and. He's, he does also the extraordinary things. He's uh, very good at managing the um, ball around the pitch. He's got a great selection of kicks as well. He's end over end spiral. So, you know, his, his kick selection is never a problem. He's a great passing game and can attack the line very flat. But then he does these extraordinary things like his kick to regather is just one of the remarkable things in mm. in rugby in the world. Uh, he's He executes it almost perfectly. Uh, very often comes back. Um, with the ball, I don't know what his percentage is, but must be up for 75% when he's chasing his own kicks. And that is something that can change a game in a, in a, in a split second. And he's complemented by a, a back line that can, you know, if they give them uh, the ball and they get it to them early, they like to keep a bit of depth. And we've seen that against England, that bit of depth that it can keep, keep gets them around the corner. Um, and if they want to play, and um, we saw them play in that last game, in the Six Nations against Italy last year. We've seen them play um, on occasion in the, in the World Cup as well. When they have that mindset uh, and their forwards are presenting them with, with good ball and um, there's no reason to, uh, to think that they wouldn't if they can get their scrum together, um, it, it's a seriously dangerous back line because they're all very rapid, but they're big men as well, as Martin said. Martin, Gatlin's been in the job since 2007 now, which is, I think, unprecedented at the top level of international rugby um, has he evolved over that time? I mean, he's perceived in some way, you know, the Warren Ball thing keeps coming up and maybe that's because he's got such a huge backline. But has he evolved in that time? Um, I think if I'm honest, I think Warren's game plan is it goes back even further than that. It goes back to the days at Wasps. Um, I, I, and no, I don't think they have evolved. I think they've, they've stuck to winning former. I think um, Warren Gatlin's record for Wales in Six Nations games is up there at 75%. So I think the style of play Warren, you know, Warren and his management team use is successful in the Six Nations. So um, I think you look at his record against the Tri Nations team. I think it's something down to seven percent. They won you know, two in twenty-eight games. So you know, I, I don't expect them to change too much either. I think you know their whole philosophy is they, they play to their strengths, and as you know, Shane has just touched upon there. We've got huge men, some you know, quite freakishly really for a Welsh team because historically. You know, we're quite a small nation, but we've got these big, powerful athletes. You know, um, you know, behind, but up front as well. You know, guys like Alan Wynne Jones, Sam Orbit, and Falato. Um and and he plays that way. He did it with Wasps. You know, we had a very powerful big side there. So, I think it'll be. You know, it's it's a very what Wales are. I think they're a very difficult team to beat. They've got one of the best defences in the world um, and a great kicking game. So. No, that, that will always, particularly in the Six Nations, that will always get you there or thereabouts. Yeah, it's funny, Jerry. I'm trying to lead 
all of you guys into maybe criticising Joe Schmidt's game plan and Martin is here saying, well, hang on a sec, Gatlin's been doing this for 10 years and it works. It works. Schmidt's only done it for two years and it's worked and so it far. works as well, yeah. So maybe yeah. it is, uh, maybe that's worth bearing in mind. Martin, what about the uh, impact that Bigger is having? We talked about him with Shane there. The, the way Shane describes his style of play, he's a difficult guy to stop. If you were, if you were the Irish defence coach trying to stop Dan Bigger in Wales, what, what would you be up to at the weekend? Yeah, look, Dan's, you know, he's always had the potential, you know, from a young age. But um, in the last 18 months, he's just been incredible. You know, he's nailed that number 10 spot down. Um, and, uh, you know, he's so difficult to actually defend those kick chases that he does. You know, he, he turns into perfection. He's so brave. Um, the one thing that, you know, people are crying out for in Wales, maybe, you know, the next step, which I think everybody in the old hemisphere wants their teams to do, is, you know, play a more exp- an expansive game, which, you know, Dan's not the quickest of players. But what he is, he just makes the right decisions at the right time. And um, I just, the, the carbon copies in many ways, I think, him and Sexton. I think Sexton would have the edge as, as an attacking force, as in, you know, he's, I think Sexton would be quicker than Dan Bigger. But I just think everything Dan has touched has turned to gold. So um, we just, fingers crossed, it doesn't run out in this Six Nations because just seen over the, for the Ospreys over the last few weeks, you know, the momentum is, is slowly, very slowly, but he hasn't quite had the influence on games like he was having pre-World Cup. So um, uh, hopefully it's just a little bit of a lull and he can pick himself up before the Six Nations again. But he, but he has very, very quickly turned himself into the key player for Wales. You know, and you know, if Wales are going to do well, he needs to be on top of his game. I'm assuming this is a fixture that the Welsh players will relish on Sunday, Ireland away? Yeah, it is on the fans as well. You know, it's a good trip out to Dublin, but it's a Sunday game and couldn't ask for a tougher one, I don't think. You know, away from home, out in Ireland... Um, you know, last Six Nations, although Wales won, I think Ireland absolutely battered uh, Wales in Cardiff and Wales just hung on for sheer death and the defence held out and a bit of magic from Scott Williams got him over the line. I think the Irish will be smarting from the pre-World Cup game where I felt Wales outmuscled uh, Ireland in Dublin. Um, so, yeah, I think it's uh, it's something they're looking forward to. They've obviously probably, although they got, uh, you know, the same um, level in the World Cup, I think Wales probably came out of the World Cup a little bit more content than what Ireland did. So they're full of confidence. But um, I just think, you know, everybody's not quite happy that everybody's sort of writing Ireland off at the minute. And I just think um, there's a sting in the tail there. All right. Well, listen, Martin, great to talk to you and enjoy the tournament. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Good to talk. Martin Williams there. And it is, I've forgotten about the pre-World Cup game, which I I wouldn't have thought would have a huge amount of, uh, necessarily a huge amount of impact on this one. But it does bring to mind what, what... when you're looking back at previous games, Jerry, what are we looking? Are we looking at the at last season Six Nations games, as Martin says, a Six Nations game? I should say when Ireland could have won, maybe if they'd been a bit smarter around the try line. Are we looking at that pre World Cup game? Or are we looking at how the two teams exited the World Cup? What's of most relevance to you? Probably nothing, because nothing <laughs> that ever happens between Ireland and Wales ever seems to matter come right. kickoff. It is the single most unpredictable fixture in the Six Nations and has been for the best part of two decades. In the last 36 meetings, how many home wins would you say there've been? 36 meetings, home wins, 20? 11. Really? Yeah. And I could say it's probably the same number of favourites have won in that time as well. That's why each one's a pass, the favourites amount to the other as well. It's such a cursedly unpredictable fixture to call that you wouldn't know what, what matters anymore between them. You know, they shared a couple of wins um, in the work, work, work of warm-up matches, one of which was forgotten, the one in Cardiff, because Wales put out a third or fourth string team. 
I think if any, either team is entitled to be favourites this time around, it probably is Wales. Aside from the fact that home advantage doesn't seem to matter in this fixture, um, they had the most settled coaching ticket, they had the most settled team. Um, Warren Gatton, ninth season, Sam Wharton, fifth season as captain. Ireland look a little depowered in their tight five. We've always dreaded the day when Ireland wouldn't have either Paul O'Connell or Brian O'Driscoll. Maybe that quarterfinal against Argentina was a vista of things to come. But certainly this is the first six nations without either of them since 1999. And O'Connell is a huge void, not just in terms of a leader, but in terms of a player. No lock in the country could, was ever going to come in and replace what he did. And also you've got Ireland's tight head of the last two campaigns and their backup tight head, both yeah. missing. I mean, it looks like a deep power tight five for me. And the way the fixtures pans out, I agree, Martin, if Wales win, they've got three home games to come. If Ireland lose, they've got um, visits to Paris and Twickenham to follow. So it really is a ma- massively pivotal game, more so than usual. That being said, in 2013, Ireland were 36-3 up or something early in the second half. Well set to go on to great, great glory. Never won another match. Wales came back, won the next four and won the title. So, mm-hmm. so much for momentum. Shane, uh, Martin touched there on, you know, the end of the World Cup for both sides and Wales took more out of it perhaps than Ireland because of the way they ended. But both teams, the similarity was the amount of injuries they had. And some of the criticism at the time was because of their styles of play that they don't seek space enough and seek contact. And Wales in particular seemed to do that. And that over the space of a few weeks, that starts to count and you're not going to win anything of huge significance uh, because of that. Do you think there's anything in that that... Uh, we talked about style of play there, but one of the reasons uh, you should change it is sustainability over the course of a few weeks. Well, I think there is something in that, actually. I think that um, it is a concern for player, for teams that play um, a, um, a very impactful game where you're having a huge amount of um, rooks and there's a lot of contact and there's a lot of recycling the ball and that's sort of the way you move the ball uh, up the field. Now, that's... That's one side of the game that um, certainly it's a big side of the game that Gatlin uh, plays. It's, uh, I think, a fairly considerable side of the game that Joe Schmidt plays. Um, When we talk about a kicking game, that's going to alleviate that problem to some degree. I think what's more interesting is will we see uh, a more developed rolling play game? So that's the sort of plays that we see Johnny Sexton uh, when it's not off set plays, but it's, it's just off a phase where he's maybe running a loop or a switch play or there's a bit more width on it. Or we seem sometimes see, see our forwards in particular, our, our hookers, uh, moving the ball away from the point of contact. And I think more important than that is um, how the both teams will protect their players by using a little bit more subtlety um, through their rolling plays. And we often see uh, Ireland and more in particular, I think Wales with, with Gatlin ball or Warren ball um, taking that first, uh, taking that as a first receiver off the nine, sometimes off the 10, but generally off the nine, smashing it up, then recycling, doing the same again, same again, same again. And you can make good yardage like that. But I'd prefer to see a little bit more subtly where you have, you know, both the 10 putting a little wrinkle on it, whether it be a loop or a play or, or a switch play or a spot a little bit wider. Or I think we've got some really effective forwards on them, in particular our two hookers that can move the ball away from the point of attack. And that sort of subdiffuse makes a huge difference. It makes things his shoulders are a lot softer, makes your yards in behind easier, and it's not those horrible, impactful, you know, man against man, straight up as hard as you can run into each other tackles, which you can only do for so long. 
In terms of other tournament contenders, um, Shane, you made your views on the appointment of Dylan Hartley as captain fairly clear on the last time we chatted to you in the last podcast. What do you, how much does that say about what England are trying to do overall? I mean, Eddie Jones seems to be very intent on letting the world know that England's rugby values, uh, what, which apparently under Stuart Lancaster, we were told, were the right values. It turns out now they're, they're, it's not the side of their rugby that they want to put forward to the world. Are they going too far the other way under Eddie Jones? Um, I think, you know, I think values are, are, are different. I think what, you know, the behaviour of players, what was important, being the jersey, um, the team above individual, I think all, they were all great um, values under Lancaster. And I think he served England really well with that. What he didn't serve them well uh, was was tactically or, or selection-wise. Um, and that's not because, you know, he was, you know, he, he's not a nice guy. It's just that he was um, not not making the right decisions at the, at the right time. He came under pressure before the World Cup and was, I think, heavily influenced by Andy Farrell. He blinked a little bit, didn't, didn't trust the, the own values that he had established for his whole team. And then when that happens, everything came crushing, crushing down. Um, you're right, Eddie Jones has tried to move away, you know, as far away from Lancaster and his model as possible. And I don't think that's a smart move. That said, I think we're getting fed um, a certain message from um, from Eddie Jones and from their camp, and you know he's a very smart coach. He's a very tactically minded coach as well. Um, so this idea that England are just going to be a um, forward dominated, rolling mall, rocking team, I don't just I just don't believe that's the case. I think he's thrown a bit of a dummy, and I think that the fact that it looks like he's going to pick. Ford and Farrell at 10 and 12 indicates something completely different than that. Yes, he wants to reiterate that England are a force at scrum time and line-out time. But listen, that's just a basic. Every team wants to be that. And England, probably more than anybody else in the Six Nations, have the capacity to be that. But they do need something else in their game. I and I kind of think England, if they get off to a decent start, I think you know they could surprise people in this tournament, and they have an opportunity to win it. The fixtures fall well for them. Um, I just think that he's throwing a bit of a dummy, um, and I hope he is because it'll make for a much more interesting tournament. Um, I should say, Jerry, what does an Eddie Jones England look like to you? Well, they will have very strong set pieces because Steve Borthwick, the coach, the line-out coach in Japan, came up with so much efficient line-out moves that it became a Japanese line-out became a weapon against South Africa. Who would ever have thought that? Um, they, Paul Gustard will have the Saracens' defensive system in place. They have conveyor belt of talent. They'll have plenty of bulky forwards. They they have Chris Robshaw at seven. You'd wonder against the Scots with their litany of loose, proper Lucy's um, breakdown specialists. Could that become an area of concern for them as it did against Wales? Their midfield 10, 12, 13 axis remains a little bit of a problem or an unproven area as it did the World Cup. They've certainly got wonderful outside backs. I think Anthony Watson is a completely different player for England um, at fullback than he is in the wing for Bath. Or sorry, on, at wing for England. He's just, he, I think he'll rediscover his mojo as it were. And so they'll be there or thereabouts. And if you finish above England, you probably win the Six Nations. And that's been the way it has been for the last four years because they've been runner-up for the last four. But that first game is as almost as compelling as Ireland's game against Wales. Are Scotland finally a threat? After years have been told that they were, could this actually be the time? Byrne Collar's done an amazing job there, it seemed, based on the World Cup. They come into the work from the World Cup with probably more momentum than any of the Six Nations sides. They've got England at Murrayfield. If they are going to be a contender, this is almost must win. Whereas if England win, then they're really set fair for a proper tilt at the, at the title. Shane, just uh, Gustard was mentioned by Jerry there. You made a point about defence coaches in your column at the weekend, Sunny Times, that 
they're getting more and more important, not only because of how important defence is, but because of the impact they can have on a team's attacking structure also. The amount of knowledge that they build up on how teams attack and how to stop teams attacking builds a sort of a base of knowledge that they can actually bring to the attacking side of their own team as well. Now, that with that said, do you think that maybe Les Kiss is actually the biggest miss that we're going to have from the players we had available to us last season, even more so than, than Paul O'Connell? We're going into this with no, specific, no specific defence coach. Yeah, well, I think it's not just uh, we're missing out on a defence coach, um, uh, as in the guy who takes the half an hour or however long period of the session um, that um, that he normally is allotted during a training. That's kind of almost the least important thing. The thing is, there was a need for a defence coach. That's recognised. They're all over the world, defence coaches. Almost every big team has one, and it's needed. So they fulfil a different role. The amount of analysis they, they do, and listen, Ireland have a brilliant analysis set up, um, but... You know, if there was a need for a defensive coach previously, and he was had you know a full workload to take that out, then you're missing that individual. You're missing that work can't be done, and so that, for me, that's a concern to to allow this vacuum to exist. Where once we were told that it's essential that we have this individual, and that we will in the future, so how can we go into Six Nations without that individual? And I think. In not the so much that you know Les Kiss is you know is not there, and his individual knowledge, uh, but I think that we're missing someone out entirely. Yeah, I must say it's exciting talking to, to you about all uh, predictions. Before we wrap things up, where will Ireland finish, and who's going to win the Six Nations? And is that the same answer for either of you, Shane? Um, I think Ireland may finish third, um, but if they win the game on. Uh, this weekend, they could win the they could win the championship. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Um, um, I think uh, England might surprise people. I just have a feeling that if they again, if they get off to a good result against um, Scotland this weekend, the fixtures seem to suit them. I'm less concerned about France this year, possibly than than I've ever been. Um, so I think you know, I, I think Wales uh, look super strong as well. So. Take your pick from those three, but I just have a feeling that England might end up on top. Picking England, all right. Jerry? Um, I go for Ireland possibly to finish third as well, or fourth even. Um, I think it'll be a tough season for them. Certainly, if they win the Six Nations, would be the standout of the three. If they were to win three in a row, this would be the toughest one to win. Um, Wales won the Slam in 08 and 012, immediately after the World Cup, last two times around. I'm not sure they'll win a Slam this time, but they also have the advantage to play initially at home on the last day, where you may be able to fill your boots if it becomes... A points chase, as it were. So I'd go Wales first. Okay, brilliant to talk to you, Jerry Shane. Thanks, Mill. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player, a baby. Coach.
We won against them in the premiership and we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call a player a baby. We're all okay. We've all recovered from Shane's early declaration that the Six Nations is what he's all about. Mm. Rather than the World Cup, he enjoys the Six Nations more. Well, I mean, I think he's I like been, the infectious enthusiasm. Yeah, well, his enthusiasm has definitely it's it's uh, enraptured me. It's enthralled me. It doesn't but, involve annoying Southern Hemisphere teams that beat Ireland. Yeah, that's well, what's really. I mean, about. I think Shane put it pretty as pretty much as bluntly as he could. We have had no success whatsoever in the World Cup. It has not given us any good memories whatsoever. So damn right, we prefer the Six Nations. Why would we? Why would we prefer the tournament in which we've always disappointed and? Often been humiliated. Plus, the World Cup has all that flowing rugby and tries and offloads. Uh, not for me, not for me, Simon, and not for the Irish people. This is rugby country, and we know what sort of rugby we like. There's an add-on to that very Joe Schmitty quote that I gave you from. Oh, uh, the most Joe Schmidt thing, thing that's ever been said. Yeah, I, I did credit Peter O'Reilly there, didn't I? Uh, it's, yes. yes, it was in the Sunday Times. He reported this. So, yes, Sam Warburton has been Warburton has been captain for five years. Was the retort? They've got over 1,100 caps. They're the biggest side, 106 kgs per man. And then he goes on to say, so they've got the most continuity, they're the biggest, they've got a very consistent coaching team. You'd think that as a result of that, they'd have their own confidence parked away. This is what he said to the Welsh reporter um, at, the, at the launch. So the reporter said to me, oh, you're saying Wales are favourites? I said, no, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just giving you three facts. I look at facts. <laughs> he went full Joe Schmidt and then another step further into Joe Schmidt. He'd be Schmidt an amazing land. journalist, actually. He, well, he really would. He'd certainly be a thorough journalist. He'd, he'd uh, have the old eyes dotted and all the rest of it. Uh, what are we going to do now? Just get a few predictions from Ken. ourselves. Does anyone care? Yeah, Ken I think people, people care what Ken thinks, yeah. I think, uh, I think Ireland have... Uh, I think it's going to be a bridge too far for Ireland, don't. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do not see Ireland seeing the hat-trick. I think Irish rugby is... Is destined to wander in the wilderness a while, uh, and to re- rediscover its true, uh, its true meaning and purpose. Well, there's wilderness in and around the sort of fifth place finish, but then there's wilderness in and around the third place finish, which is more palatable. You know who I fancy on? Who do you fancy? The England. Welsh, England to win. Mm-hmm. You're not put off by Dylan Hartley as captain. Uh, well, I was reading in the Times the other day that he was he was apparently going to be English rugby's heir Cantona. So I think that that's good. Minus the talent. <laughs> <laughs> just the mad off-field stuff Murph uh, Ireland uh, to finish fourth Lose. boo to this boo to this I'm Ar- sorry yeah I'm sorry well you, I, I get slated uh, every time you ever ask me for a, uh, a prediction I always am tub thumping the Cork the for the All-Ireland last Baron. year for example <laughs> no that was the year before Simon so well are you going for you. Ireland to win the Six Nations because I think one of us needs to I'm going for England and Ireland to finish are you going for England second, second. yeah second. Uh, I think I think Eddie Jones. Yeah, I like. They've been fourth four years in a row. He just pulled off the greatest World Cup uh, surprise in history. Did I tell you I was was at that game? Won the World Cup with South Africa. It is weird when England are going to get better. They don't need to get much better. They need to get like ten points cumulatively over the course of the Six Nations better to win it. Eddie Jones will definitely. When Jerry mentions that Japan beat South Africa in the line out <laughs> you're, you're, I keep forgetting that that game happened that can't happen to be there I think well, yeah you were one mm. of the few lucky lucky uh, Irish journalists Do, when was the last time England actually won the Six Nations uh, tw- 2011, 2011 yeah. and that's the only one they've won since like 2003 it's a long time they've been bad for a long time they're definitely they're Their definitely time they have come, that is an extraordinary stat actually that they've won it once since they won the World Cup that's pretty amazing. Well, here, do you want me to elaborate on a bit of that? Yeah, please. Because if you jog my memory here, there's another part of the Sunday Times preview in which they 
got a hold of the strategic plan that English Rugby, that the ORFU set out in 2008. Mm-hmm. This was So it's called Strategic Shocker, the seven-year plan the ORFU would prefer to forget. I mean, that's not what the plan is called. That was the Sunday Times headline. <laughs> okay. uh, so they set out England's goals for the next seven seasons, up to basically now, up to last season. How have they fared? Well, here are the four goals, right? The four goals of Sunday Times report anyway. Goal one, England to win 2011 and 2015 Rugby World Cups with a minimum of semi-final place. The outcome, complete failure, says the Sunday Times. England failed to even make the semi-final in either tournament. The goal, England to win four Six Nations championships, including two Grand Slams. As you guys stated, there's just the one Six Nations title. One zero Grand Slam. No Grand Slam, yeah. The goal, England to win two out of three Sanzar matches, so that's against South Africa, New Zealand and Australia, at home each autumn and at least 50% of away tests against Sanzar teams. The outcome there, well, 12.5% away from home, slightly lower than the 50%. And at home, they're not, they're a long way short of 50, 23.5%. And also England to return a minimum win ratio in any year of 70%, rising to 80%. Uh, they've actually only reached 70% one in two of those seven years, and they've never got to 80 couple of years they failed to actually reach I actually feel 50. sorry for them it's pathetic yeah, yeah that's, no, that's it's not a very good that's not a very good last six years I think in I'm this, up for I, England actually I, I think <laughs> in this centenary <laughs> year of, of 1916 uh, the English will have new sporting heroes uh, to look forward to on uh, fields of France Scotland Wales Ireland and beyond I'm going to predict Ireland to win on points difference again it's been our friend grand the last slam two seasons on? no Grand Slam no not a Grand Slam for so four wins four wins for us and at least one other team could be similar to last year. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank, Thank you, Ken. Simon. Thank you, Thanks, Kieran. Ken. Thank you, Thank Simon. Thank you, Owen. Thanks a million, guys. Do rate the podcast and comment on it on iTunes. Hope you enjoyed the bonus show as much as we did. We will talk to you again later on in the week. Take care and enjoy it, one. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.